Hey guys, and welcome to the Garage Athlete Show. I believe we are on episode 36. I'll have to check that out. Um, but we've got a guest on today in Tim Swinson, who Dan knows quite well. So I'm going to hand it over to Dan to make the introductions because he knows him a lot better than I do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just uh, introduced to him there just now. But yeah, um, on the show today, we have Tim Swinson, a.k.a. Swino, from my, well, back in my playing days at Newcastle, which is going back about eight, nine years ago. Since then, Swino's gone on to do some pretty formidable stuff in rugby. He's had a very successful career. He's played for Scotland, um, played in a World Cup, and has gone from being you know up and coming to being a very, you know, Royal renowned player, so good that he was brought out of retirement to go help, you know, that little club called Saracens down in London. So, I mean, you know, that was a brief introduction, but Swinnow, would you like to introduce yourself and just, you know, just tell us a bit about you? Yeah, I, you know, I grew up in North London and I mean, I, I enjoyed playing rugby. I had a really big thing about being bigger than everyone else when you're sort of eight, nine and ten, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, I started playing rugby for a club as I wasn't allowed to play at school because I was too big. Um, Is that for real? <laughs> yeah, so in sort of in the home counties back in the nineties they had weight limits for age grades. I was I did above not the age <laughs> Yeah, I was above the weight categories. Uh, but then I went to secondary school near Peterborough and they didn't have those. I, mean, I played there for five years and started playing a bit for Northampton. And yeah. I think I played three second team games when I was seventeen. But that didn't work out. I spent some time in Australia, went to university in Newcastle, um, played there for six years, and I went to Glasgow and played there as well. And I've now sort of ended up in London, back at the club that I first watched when I was a child, and um, really by luck of the draw more than anything else. No, a bit, bit more than luck to do it. You saying <laughs> the, um, the, you know, obviously they select you for reasons with your experience. Um, so who's, who's the coach that brought you in, and what was the link there? Well, so I, so a few of the coaches at Saracens, one of them was Ian Peel, who still is Ian Peel. He was the academy manager at Newcastle when I started. The scrum and, coach? Yes, yeah, scrum coach. So yeah, Peely's done several things around rugby. But I, he's I know him, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then secondly, Joe Shaw, who coached me at university. And then I later played with him at Newcastle. He is also um, the coach there as well. I think they just realised that I had experience to give, um, having played rugby for now going on the 15th season, and to help yeah, the young guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were talking to Don earlier. I just think it's you know like we said a brief inter- um, talk before we came on. Just mm-hmm. when I retired, uh, I think I was twenty three. You would have been twenty three, twenty four because I think you're nineteen eighty seven. So I think you're just yeah, you know, you're, one, you're, yeah. year older than me. Uh, that you know we were just kind of coming into it, and then yeah. fast forward eight years, you've you've been, you've become an international. You've played on you know mm-hmm. World Cups. You've been to you know you played in England and Scotland, and now back down to England again. Yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy how time flies and now you're a senior player, mental. I don't I get reminded by about being a senior player an awful lot. So I mean I'm gonna ask you is like do you know you obviously know who Carl Heyman is because you he was yeah, there at yeah. Newcastle. Uh there are front row who don't know who Carl Heyman is. Um the <laughs> biggest one today today I someone asked me about who was playing uh in the team when I went to when I went to Newcastle and Quite honestly, I was very lucky to be a young guy in a team full of experience uh, before the collapse of Newcastle really happened until their relegation. Mm. Um, and one of the guys there was Matt Burke, who's a fullback, he's Australian legend. He's oh, now working in Australia. The uh, there's guys who don't know who he is. Uh, <laughs> 17, 18 is, year olds, is, like. Is this kids in the academy somewhere through that don't know? Yeah, so like I said, oh yeah, I played with Matt Burke. He's like, oh, what? Did he play for England as well? which was oh, quite wow. an interesting one. So there is a yeah. bit of a, I wouldn't quite say generational change, but the players I grew up watching, apart from the obvious ones, are not as well known as they are as they were for me. Yeah. I don't know if you had this. I remember, because uh, we, we came into it slightly differently. We'll, we'll talk a bit more about that. But I remember being a young player, just being 
supremely intimidated and in awe of these older guys, players who, you know, I remember some of the jokes were that players who were in their like 33 were considered dads of the team. Whereas, you know, compared to real life, it's really nothing. It's no age at all. But but then what I guess what I'm trying to get to is now you've got to that other side. Were you kind of almost like, what was, you know, did I even even think that? What was it about? Do you have a different lens to the game as when you first started? I think it's changed drastically. I mean, it's, we're talking about uh, like when I first came into the Newcastle squad, um, the guy who, with the other second row was a guy called Andy Perry, who is... A man, is that, yes, he, I know him. He, yes. he, he, he was in the Marines, huge man, like the most terrifying man. Like, so you look at him and you're scared. Um, yeah, no, if anyone that doesn't know me, he's he must have some of the thickest arms I've ever seen, I, yeah. apart from Samoans I've ever seen on a player, but yes, I know him well. Yeah, basically, he spent my first six months being in the first team running around and punching me at every rut <laughs> possible in training. And that was pretty much the way to go. Like, if there's a young guy in your position, you basically gave them a load of abuse until they either sort of gave it back or just quit. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It, and that sort of that slipped out of rugby. I think that's probably a good thing. <laughs> but, you know what? It, it would be considered absolute mental abuse the way it was going on I know like that that, that memory of you saying that just rings so clear even from my time in Newcastle but the players doing that yeah. whereas like, if it was any at grassroots level like that's what it used to be like like yeah. when you joined a rugby club the older guys would haze you a little bit because rugby's a tough sport like you're putting your body on the line whatever kind of level you're at obviously when you're up at a professional level it's it's much higher impact, much more like camaraderie. But you've got to know that the guy that's to your left and to your right is like willing to kind of stick up for you and be a bit tough as well. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely think so. I think also the game's changed drastically in 15 yeah. years. I mean, I I keep telling the young guys they won't be playing at my age or at least the vast majority of them. And not because they're bad players, it's just the attrition of the game, the really? way it's played. The you know, When we start, you talk about tackles, you talk about like that's why now they're talking about dominance collisions and stopping them on the gain line and it's very very it's a collision sport now whereas it used to be a, a tackling sport yes. um, there is a big yeah there's a big concern i know there's the the ongoing cases at the moment with the um concussions and things like that and i know there's been a big shift but it's interesting hearing from you know a player himself you know from you saying that I wouldn't say confirming it but you know saying we do think from a spectator it's just massive men running into each other and it's a very attritional sport I mean I kind of felt I was kind of chewed up and spat out not you know because because mm. it was so hardcore I found on the lower leagues yeah I was fine but the moment I took that step mm. up with some of the guys you're playing against like I remember playing against guys like you know Brian Majati these guys are just yeah. absolute monsters and you felt it you really did but I guess the thing is this is now happening week in week out for everyone it's almost like I guess survival of the fittest but I mean what what are they doing at clubs to counteract that has has it changed a lot in terms of injury prevention or I know some clubs are using like heart variability training and things like that yeah I think it depends what injuries you're trying to protect I mean you talk about concussions and a lot of the things that can protect that is tackle technique but even that doesn't cover everything because a lot of concussions happen in mistakes or in rucks a lot of it is removal of contact from training as well to reduce the, the risk or reducing the opportunities. But at the end of the day, I, I personally feel like rugby is a contact sport. And there needs to be ability to help protect players as much as possible. But there are, there are going to be some injuries and there are going to be some concussions. If we can better protect those like injury prevention around sort of prehab or knees, hamstrings, muscles, stuff that goes a lot, that's really great. But I don't quite know how you can do that yet for concussions, perhaps neck strength, which a few people are starting to do. But I don't think it's necessarily as widespread as it probably could be. Yeah, I know Joe Regan's big on that um, neck trainer, isn't he? Like, always yeah. using that. Then a few guys are using that. They yeah, use that a lot in American football as well. Um, what's it called? The iron neck, where it's that thing yeah, like yeah. head and it's got the bands and yeah. Uh, mm. we've, we've been using one of those like, it's central to our gym program here as I found that it's programmed in which I think is really good and it's 
it's just another thing to add on to the training list, I think, which is sometimes difficult. Some teams want to do absolutely everything. And before you know it, you're training all the time just to try and find that one little extra thing. So it's difficult. And I, I don't really know where rugby goes because obviously the protection of players is paramount for the sport itself. But you're never going to be able to reduce all the or take out all the sort of uh, what's called the like risk. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm, I think people always ask me, and I think it'd be interesting for the um, listeners as well. Of you know, this you know, in terms of iron cred, sort of rugby players. Uh, when I was back, when I was playing, if you had you know, if someone had a 200 kilo squat in the team, that was considered massive. But has that changed these days? Are people a lot stronger? Or is it about the same or? I think it depends on which team you're at. Uh, it depends on the focus of the SNC coach. I know at Glasgow, when I first started, Stuart Yule's the SNC coach, he's now with Scotland. He has a powerlifting background. So our program is very focused around the core lifts, powerlifting. And there are some guys who had unbelievable squats. Uh, a guy called John Welsh, who's now at um, Newcastle, he I believe 250, 260 squat, and he could clean 160, 165. And he really, yeah, so he's really powerful. And then, I mean, you come down to Saracens, it's a different focus. A lot of stuff is around speed. I mean, the guys are still unbelievably strong, but Mm. I don't, you don't see it as regularly as I do at Glasgow. Guys lifting 200, 210 kilos. It's all Mm. about the speed of movement. So they're still doing it with 130, 40, or 50 kilos. But yeah. it's all where gym aware is trying to get the movement quick. And they are, the speed of training that I found, it's much quicker, more explosive than I've trained at other places. So do you think you're working more and say that, you know, that bang, that pulse strength instead of that grinding strength at Saracen? Yeah, I, I would say so. Those are big focus on being, like, being explosive and, like, Having an impact, I think, is one of the things that obviously helps that the players they've had over the years, that is in their makeup. It seems to be that they've already got a propensity for it. Mm. But it's certainly that is the focus that you, know, you want to be aggressive, be abrasive and sort of have an impact on the game. Yeah, absolutely. I know when I started at Quinns when I was like 15, they were, I had a guy called Dave Bell who's an Olympic lifter. Yeah. So we did tons and tons and tons of Olympic lifting. And I've always been of the opinion for some, I think we've talked about this before, was mm. I think for some people it works really well, whereas I think for others it's almost like they're trying to get good at Olympic lifting, but the way they're doing it isn't necessarily improving their pitch. I mean, is it still in clubs? There's this big push on ollie lifting, or are they trying to look more like you're saying at Saracens with gym aware? Um, I, I, I think it depends who you are. I and at your stage of your career, my gym program has changed drastically over the last five years, um, mainly because of different coaches, different mm-hmm. injuries. Um, so I, yeah, I trained at Glasgow for Thibaut Giroux, who is the French SNC coach, the most mental SNC coach I have ever been coached by. They <laughs> Honestly, complete nuts. He was a bobsledder. He's really powerful. And I've never done anything anything like that since. And it was great. I felt fantastic. But it was, it was all very like power-based, explosive movements. It was often quite heavy, low reps. And it changed every day. And I found it really invigorating. Yeah. Um, you got any stories for us? He sounds like a good uh, character. Oh, he, he he basically spoke this weird English French. Obviously, English not being his main language, and I, I understand that in the technical sport that's quite difficult to get across. So we get these programs on pieces of paper, and you'd have to sort of almost decipher what it was, because every now and then it would be just gob- gobbledygook. And, and also, he didn't. I don't know whether he quite understood percentages, but everything, I don't think I ever had a percentage below 90% on his program. But the stuff we're doing, things like static holds at the bottom of a squat with 120 kilos and then into sort of defensive drills or, you know, trying to make it rugby specific and like coming out of the scrum and doing stuff or going from a heavy three squat immediately into a push press of like a just just completely different way of thinking. I can never recreate it um, because it was all in his head. <laughs> but it, 
I felt it was really good for me. Yeah. Um, I think having got to Saracens since that time since I started at Glasgow, I've split my tibia in half. Um, oh, so wow. I I did what's called a tibial head fracture a couple of years ago, which basically my femur hit the top of my tibia and split it in two. Oh my uh, days, man. So I did that. I also wrecked my ankle on the same side. I've pulled a tendon out of two of my fingers, so I can't bend that finger now. So that's me trying to bend the tip of my finger. So for, for anyone that's uh, listening, uh, Swino is, is, is holding his finger completely straight and it's it's not moving and he's, he's not yeah. putting it on. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, 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 had, I had the first one surgically fixed, so I've got full range in it, but yeah. the other one I haven't had fixed. Uh, is, the, is that something you'd get fixed? So it's the sort of thing you have to fix it immediately because the tendon sort of drops down. It's now somewhere in my forearm. So I won't, yeah, but the rehab for it, it was 14 weeks yeah. of the first 14. 12. I wasn't allowed to hold anything in my hand. I, you basically, it's even if you follow the rehab perfectly, it can still fail. And quite frankly, I, I need, I wanted to play rugby instead. It's on my weak yeah. hand. It's on my, it's in the hand that I don't write with. And it is getting, it is slightly annoying. It's like chopping vegetables. Um, I now just have a finger sticking out. I keep having to tuck it in before I use the knife. But it, 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 it's, it's not that big a sort of impact on me. Yeah. I've had a significant number of injuries in the last sort of, well, three years, particularly four years. Mm-hmm. And so now rather than squatting, I use a leg press. And I do, I have a very different gym program to a lot of the guys. So it's one thing that the SNC Saracen seem to be particularly good at is really personalising the programme for your experience, age, everything. And the forwards have very different programs for who you are. Yeah. And I think that's really helped me be able to be ready for rugby sessions, which is not something I've always experienced. I've experienced very good programming, but it's been on a positional basis at its smallest grouping, mm-hmm. which sometimes doesn't help when you've got a guy six foot eight and myself who's six foot four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. That is quite a big thing because it was kind of, you know, type five might have a, a group, the backs yeah. would surely, well, <laughs> I still remember, I still remember Goose going in the gym. Uh, this is guy we used to play with at Newcastle. He's going, putting a weight on the bench press and then looking around, not seeing anyone look at him, and then taking it off and actually yeah. not doing any lifting. <laughs> so, I mean, that's yeah. the, some, actually, some of the guys have to it. But um, now that's, that's really interesting that they um, are personalizing mm-hmm. it for you. And I think something that stood out there, as you said, use a leg press, which in, mm-hmm. you know, traditional circles or thinking would think, well, you wouldn't use a leg press because it's a machine and you wouldn't use it on the pitch. Mm-hmm. But by you using your leg press, you're still getting some quad work in, you're working hard mm-hmm. and you're creating yourself um, a good stimulus without impacting your body too much and potentially yeah. being better on the pitch for it. Yeah, I mean, that, so at the moment, it's, I've got quite a lot of leg press because I used to do heavy leg press instead of a heavier squat. And then I used like a banded squat for more of a power thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I managed to sort of get a back spasm from doing the banded squat. And so I now do banded leg press as well. So on Sundays, I do admittedly have 10 sets of leg press with different weights on. So it does get a bit wow. repetitive. But at the end, <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, like doing that and being able to train is much better. And it's still linked with a lot of single leg accessory work and single leg squat, single leg uh, RDL particularly. Mm. So it's not all that I do, but it's basically a way of reducing the sort of uncertainty, I suppose, of yeah. uh, squat. Sometimes I can squat fine. Sometimes I have tight hips and I look like I'm a little bit of a mal-coordinated uh, <laughs> giraffe. So are you one of those players that actually enjoys the gym side of it or is the gym side of it the means to the end as in being a better player? Because like I know there's players out there that absolutely hate the gym, as Dan was saying, mm-hmm. and others that absolutely <clears throat> love being in there, them like meatheads at heart as well. I think it depends. So I've certainly gone through stages in my career. Um, I'm sure Dan would imagine I was growing up through the academies at the same time. When I started in like the wider training group stuff when I was younger, there seemed to be this push that rugby skills did not matter. Get massive, get lifting weights and be a unit and then you'll be good at rugby. And there's a very hard push to get stronger, get 
fast and all that stuff. And I think I tried that as much as I could and I got a bit mental about it. I know when I was my first couple of years at uni, I was a nut job about training. I think I ended up getting to the point I was going to the gym before I was playing university games. Mm. And like it got really extreme. Um, and then when I was at Glasgow at the start, it was fine. And then I started getting to the point where I got injured. And my reaction to the three serious injuries I had within 24 months, the first one, I almost didn't admit that I had an injury. I did more running. I got, I was insanely fixed. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything with Bobo because I couldn't hold it because it was my tendon. But I just trained unbelievably hard. I got back, played in the Calcutta Cup game in 2017 that Scotland won. Yes, I remember, yeah. And I then fractured did, did my you, leg. Did, did you have your daughter at that game? <clears throat> yes, I did. I had yes, her yeah, I think I remember the picture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you fractured your leg, yeah. sorry. It was fractured quite... my leg a, a year after. Yeah. And the there's a lot of emotion built up and it was my last cap for Scotland. I hadn't played particularly well the game before. Like, I, you know, I wasn't abysmal, but they tried me in a new position and all that stuff. And I, I felt a lot of pressure on me personally. And mm. in the first five minutes, I fractured my leg. And that was a really trying time for me. And I basically, prob- the recovery was six months. I couldn't wait there for three. The, four- the fourth month was cycling without really going for it. I basically didn't do any weights for four months. Um, I didn't go to training. I did nothing. And then I had a very, a very quick month and pretty much was playing six weeks after I started training. And it, it just basically, I really struggled with injuries and like with training. And the training is the first thing to go. And then that obviously impacts how you play because you're smaller. Um, it's one thing that I've really enjoyed with lockdown is we and Saracens have had an extended pre-season. I'm the strongest I've been in five years because mm. we started pre-season in October and we've got our first league game on Saturday. Mm. So we've been going for a long time. I'm, I'm feeling stronger. I'm the heaviest I've been since I started playing. I'm 20 kilos heavier than my first game at Newcastle. Oh, wow. Uh, so, Good. <laughs> so in that sense, I'm feeling much better but it's totally going fits and starts but yeah. the fact that I've got a garage gym I'm obviously I do enjoy training um, mm. I think it's just been interesting to change the focus of being good at rugby to actually enjoying it will be nice again yeah I mean before we go into which we'll get into all the garage gyms and all that, yeah. I think it's important to talk about you know obviously we know my story retiring yeah. you know all that kind of stuff but you know what was that like for you to be at you know, pretty much the highest of highs you can be, you know, a, you know, a regular in the Scottish yeah. team, a very successful career to go from that to within five minutes, you know, doing a pretty significant injury and then being off for so long. Well, I mean, how, how was uh, that for you? I mean, the, the whole process of injury was surreal. I did it in Resistencia, which is in the north, the most northern county, I think, of Argentina. It's, quite uh it's quite a, like it's a sporadic place so mm. i basically got bundled into the back of an ambulance taken to what essentially was a back alley i uh, opened a really grimy door I was like where the where are we being taken and basically go through another door into a brand new imaging unit where they very quickly realized my knee or my the top of my tibia has had a crack straight down the middle of it Jeez. and then i had three flights home straight to hospital from the airport and got surgery the next morning I, so it's really hard the thing I found hardest was to explain to my wife that she's a doctor she un- understands that it's not ideal but the emotions going through particularly that injury are yeah I just couldn't because I, I knew it's the end of my Scotland career like going off that game like, mm. it, and yeah it's um, yeah it's a bit it is yeah it's crap Basically. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you, I think I've I've got you there there a little bit, but I can imagine. Yeah. Been internet, like, as you said, a high that's meant to be like your last game, and to kind of leave mm. 
in that, that's, that's yeah. got to be like an... Um, well, just a massive kick in the balls, really, isn't it? As you said, Lee wanted to make sure that your final game was one to remember, and it, it was, but probably not for the reasons that you wanted it to be. Yeah, I mean, like, looking at it, I think I only realised, well, obviously, I realised it's my last Scotland game because I haven't played since, looking back on it. But at the time, there was, you're still going towards the 2019 World Cup, and there was still a chance of going. And talking about the pressure from the game or two before where I felt like I needed to play well and I had I remember on the pitch I had so much like built up for this game that it was just an emotional overlap I was crying on the pitch uh, and they I, I have a fear of needles which is really bad um, <laughs> so the guy who was trying to give me painkiller which made me worse because he was trying to give me an injection so I ended up having two paracetamol and I had to split my tibia in half because I wouldn't have an injection. Jeez, um, <laughs> yeah. Jeez man. That's so, quite something. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, yeah you know, it's tough. Yeah, it's that. Uh, I think I've always described, I think I think it was Flats described it as, you know, rugby's like the weekly job interview every week. And the higher you go up, the more pressure it is, you know, the more it, it, it's, a, it's a tough pill to, to, to it's, it's a tough profession it's the dream job but it's also the hardest job at the same time with the pressures it's around the, it it's the, it's the feedback loop that gets me i'm look so i've almost finished the law degree and we're now going through sort of like the professional skills thing and you see that feedback in a corporate setting most of the time not always is not particularly abrupt not particularly straight but yeah you'll get to the point whereas in a rugby game if you give away a penalty the referee tells you because he's giving a penalty. Your captain's probably telling you. Your teammate's probably telling you a bit of a nasty. And then, you know, like you, you have that meeting with the coach the next morning. And Monday meetings, man. Oh. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you, you get feedback very quickly and it's very abrupt. Um, yeah. And that's the real positive that you learn to take that and you learn to improve. But yeah, it is a quite, uh, sort of, it is quite an aggressive workplace. So, you know, you'll know when you've not done well very quickly if you don't already know yeah. yourself. Yeah, well, I think looking back to a couple of coaches we shared, yeah, def definitely that was the case. <laughs> I, I personally struggled with that part quite a lot. Um, mm. I think for some players, it's the making of them. And I think for other players, it can ruin them. And it's 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 tough to... You have to develop a very thick skin because at the end, it's, it's the thing with rugby is it's a dream job that you thought about doing since you were a kid, and it's all you want to do, and of course all your family's invested and all that. So sometimes it's very hard to hear when you've been crap, even though you know you've been not the yeah. best. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to take that on the chin. I mean, you do, and you move on. There's another game, yeah. but it's 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 a skill to be able to deal with that. Yeah, I think it's changed as I've got older, and um, I think the. Obviously, there's a, I get to, you get to a certain point. I, I don't know whether you felt this in your career, but you, you obviously play a few games, and then you get another contract after your first professional game. So yeah, they, they like me. I'm you know I'm all right. And then you have that one two year contract. And you sit there and go, oh. and you have a bad game, and then you, you're sort of starting to worry about whether you're good enough to play professional rugby, whether you're going to be at, at that club next year, or if you're not, is someone going to want you? You get to a certain age. I they but I was secure enough in myself and what I could do on the rugby pitch that I may may fall out of favour with a single coach at a club for a valid reason, but I know I would be wanted somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then it is I even go further than that. I think I've got to the stage now where I when I retired in uh twenty twenty, I was content with it. I had done everything that I yeah, I've done everything that you almost could do in rugby or almost I could have done. I wasn't particularly enjoying rugby at the time and I was just ready to do something else. I was very lucky that I had something else to go to and I had a good plan and it is the enjoyment thing for me. Um, I've always been very lucky that I've been able to do it because I enjoy it and I haven't had to really panic about finding a contract because I need the money which has been very lucky. Um, yeah. and I, don't, I know that is a position that a lot of people are in in the career at my age where they've got to the end of the career and they're like, 
I don't have a plan B. I don't have any savings mm. because I've been sort of floating around as a squad player for 10 years. Ah, I, I, I can't, I can't do anything. Yeah. I, need to, I need to play rugby at Pro Deux or Federal One or take a, a contract at a local team because I need the money to live or need the money to train to do something else, which I can imagine is very, um, very concerning, very sort of stressful for the person. Yeah, it's, um, I think hearing your words, you know, I'd love to say seeing the way, you know, when you've said, I've done everything I wanted to do in the game, I did what I did, I'm really happy. To me, that was, that's something to this day, I'm still, you know, I'll be honest, I'm extremely bitter about. I left the game completely not on my terms. I, I never got anywhere near to what I was capable of. I, mm-hmm. I had a tiny taste in the Prem, but I mm-hmm. now knowing the athlete I am now and the size and I am, I, I know I had a, I, I had some career in some way yeah. and I find it very hard to deal with that. And it's something I've been battling with, you know, mentally for the last 10 years. I'm, I'm at a place now I'm better, but mm-hmm. it's what I think the key thing you've gone there is you, you achieve what you did, you play for fun, but then you say you're getting your law degree at the same time. So your mm-hmm. route into rugby, you said you're at Newcastle uni, whereas typically yeah. what a lot of guys do is go Academy straight into the team. Oh shit. Maybe I need a degree where you kind of seemed mm-hmm. from a very early age to have that kind of in mm-hmm. place as you were moving forward so yeah. how was it that you went to did you choose to go to uni as well or did you choose yeah. did you choose to leave an academy or was it that you you know for some reason didn't work out in Northampton and then you went to Newcastle yeah like how did that well, come so about? I was always going to take a gap year and I was led to believe all the way through my upper six or at least I certainly believed that I was going to be a full-time academy player at Newcastle at Northampton sorry through my gap year on like that, whatever their, that sort of program was called. And it got to about, I think March even of my upper six year where I basically got told I wasn't being kept on. Um, Am I right saying I, you're a prop at Northampton? Yeah, I was a prop. Um, and I basically got told that I was not being kept on. And immediately I was like, well, what do I do? I've, I've booked this uh, deferral and I had a two or three month period where at one stage I was going to go into the army uh, my original plan was to go into go to Sandhurst at the end of my degree. So I had my I got my place booked at Sandhurst the week after I left school. Um, I went through selection for that. So that's my original plan. I almost almost went at uh, eighteen into Sandhurst. Yeah, for those that don't know, Sandhurst is where they train you know officers for the military. Uh, yeah. It's just down the road from my parents actually. Yeah, right. so. lovely. So yeah, I, I almost did that. I, I almost went to uni earlier. Basically, I ended up working in Parliament for six months and then playing rugby in Australia for six months, which I really think was the making of me. I, I got to live on my own in Bondi. Um, I worked in a coffee shop. I, I lived with... Literally guys. living my dream. <laughs> it was amazing. I played yeah, for... I love, like, 18-year-old rugby players' dreams there. <laughs> mate, mate that, that, that's 32-year-old Dan's dream as well. So I did that. And both jobs gave me lots of experience in the working place, but also just getting out from being a boarding school, really sheltered, a sort of home... Like, yeah, I was quite sheltered. I was very innocent at 18. And I, th- I came back to Newcastle to go to university, um, having chosen all my unis to be near professional rugby clubs. Uh, uh, so I, I, I thought about my UCAS choices by basically so I could get picked up if I was ever going to be good enough. And that luckily happened when I got to Newcastle. Was it was it when you were the mascot tackling the guy? Is that what got you into Newcastle? <laughs> Uh, that was my that was my second year, so I, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I was a mascot because I wasn't allowed to play in the game. Um, too big, you're not allowed to play. Yeah, so I, I is I it on you? Up... Is it on YouTube still that video? I, I don't know. It was um, <sighs> for yeah. those that don't. Basically, Newcastle has a, is it the varsity? What's the, what's the game called? The, the Northumbria versus um, Newcastle. Uh, it's quite a big deal, and um, sort of we what we dressed as was it the Falcon? A lot, no lion. The lion, that was it, yeah. And uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll let Swino tell the story. It's brilliant. What was the game? Sorry. So it's Newcastle v Northumbria. Yeah, it's still on there. Um, it's got twenty-one thousand views. Yeah, then we can we can boost that up. I'm gonna have a look now. Hang on. Yeah, streaker streakers owned by mascot. If you want to know. 
Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it safe for work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's some guy called oh, Rowan. Oh, wow. Bill okay. Right. Let me share the screen. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. I'm watching it now. Uh, I haven't seen this for like years. Oh, is it this one? This top one? Yeah, Stan Calvert again. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, but it's basically about halfway through. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh, here he goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A six foot four professional rugby player just absolutely levels him. That's fantastic. I remember that one. Ah, oh, brilliant. Good fun. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of running around, but like, I ended up running on and. Uh, uh, top bands is that is that gate said that yeah it says yeah so I don't know why they played that game there yeah because they used to play at uh, Kingston Park and I think they still do yeah um, very good yeah, no very funny yeah if you scroll up to about like a minute 10 I think that's where I actually yeah you just take it out yeah I love it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But now there's it's, it's Oh there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Here he comes. For, uh, for those who can't see it, we'll try and put we'll put a link in the description. Oh, <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> just ends him. Very good. Very good, Swilly. Yeah, yeah, so uh, yeah, fast forward to about a minute control. ten on that video. Brilliant. Uh got his airplane arm scared. Oh class man. But uh yeah, I mean basically uh, I think it, uh, it uh, I wonder with you getting out and experiencing, you know, Australia, taking a year out, mm. choosing uni, doing that. I think what that might have done is put you in a different mindset or, you know, life experience compared to these guys mm. who go from academy straight into clubs. Because although they, you know, they feel they're progressing really fast, they haven't really got that all-round character, I think, maybe doing what you've done mm. has built. I mean, I know for a fact if I was to do it again, I would definitely have picked something out while I was going or maybe taken some time out and come back into it. But I think the fact you, despite your setback with Northampton, you obviously mm. had a good level of confidence, which is, you know, I thought you are quite a confident player. And I think that that, that it, you, it took confidence for you to go and do what you wanted to do, to back yourself, to go to a uni, to get that opportunity yeah. to then get picked up by Falcons. And I know you were very, yeah. you were very high regard at the Falcons. And then to go on from there, and then you went to Glasgow post that. So, I mean, what was, I think you might have let, did you, did you leave in the, when, when we got relegated or did you yeah, go the so next year? No, I left the year we got relegated. I think you know, I've got, to, I've got to thank my agent really. I think, the a guy called Mike Carroll who's my agent from not the start of my career but I think a couple of years in mm. he had a real ability to say like to work out what's going on and I, and I think he obviously wanted to I mean protect his client I mean at the end of the day if I am playing bad rugby in a bad league he doesn't get paid as much so he sort of worked out that it's time to go Scotland at the time we're looking for second rows now there are thousands of them it seems who are really good quality second yeah. rows um, the, and so they suggested going out to Glasgow and he, I wasn't too keen I, I at the time it was quite a big change mm. I've obviously been in Newcastle for six years I had friends there and all that sort of stuff but he yeah, yeah, convinced, me it's a good, convinced me it's a good idea and it really was I mean it's a very similar place to Newcastle in that it was an old industrial town that has been renovated. It's got quite a bit of culture scene in there. And yeah, it was culture set of the year at one point, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. I, mean, I think it might have been the first second year I was up there, so maybe 2013 or so. Yeah. Um, but it was a really, it was a really good move. Again, getting the opportunity to play for Scotland was really great. Winning the league in 2014-15 was fantastic. And, it, it was it's definitely needed and I think I've got a lot to thank him for to really push me because um, there are sometimes agents are worthless really I think they, yeah yeah, yeah. But, or, or if things <laughs> don't go quite right they suddenly that communication disappears very quickly I mean you, you have to like I've always been not wary is the wrong word but I'm aware what the agents are they will be with you as long as you make their money yeah um, yeah and I think there's a lot of people who misread the relationship in that 
they're almost going to create your career for you. And, you know, if, at the end of the day, if you're not playing well, you're not going to get picked up by anyone. Um, mm. So, like, I, I've been wary of agents. I mean, I know I generally need one. Um, although my last contract with Saracens, I just dealt with myself. I mean, I'm 34 now, and I'm not really planning on going anywhere else. I, I was retired. You know, like, it's not like it's, it's a difficult decision. It's like, do you want to play for Saracens? Do you want to stay retired? Like, Okay, like yeah, I don't need to go find another club. Um, but he, particularly Mike, was a really big impact on my career, and I think without him, I certainly wouldn't have done a lot of the stuff that I had done in my career. Yeah. So, so what is the thing? Because I think a lot of people will be asking. You know, you you don't have the thickest Scottish accent from uh, people up there. So, what, what is the thing for you to play for Scotland? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so, my grandparents were born. Uh, my grandmother was born in Glasgow. Um, so I get there on sort of lineage just <laughs> fantastic um, <laughs> so how many generations I mean, can it go back so grandpa- grandparents oh. is the least um, it's it's an interesting conversation at the moment in world rugby uh, there's the there's a table for the homecoming rule there was last year that if you're if you've played for a nation and you haven't played for three years you can re-qualify for another nation and there's a lot of people who are talking, particularly around the All Blacks and Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, who there are a lot of players of uh, Samoa and Tonga and Fijian descent playing play in New Zealand, play for New Zealand. Yeah, that's and, always been quite a big thing, isn't it? That, um, and it, yeah. it would significantly help those teams to be better, uh, overall help rugby to be better. Um, it, and then they're also talking about having the residency thing out three to five years. I think it's just naturally going to be the way of rugby that there will always be more players who could play at the international level than international teams. And the smaller teams will try and get those guys in. I mean, if you look at any international team in the state, there are a load of imports or residencies. And I think it, it's going. It's what rugby is as long as they obviously understand stuff about that country. I think it's okay. Well, I mean, God, I think if, if someone offered me the potential opportunity to play for Scotland, of course I'd jump out of the chance of it. I mm-hmm. think anyone would. The chance of playing international rugby, whoever it's for, I think is, you know, it, it, it's an achieve. Well, it's the highest level you can get to, you know. Yeah. Especially, you know, Six Nations, World Cups, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's incredible. So, I mean, we talk about enjoying rugby. How are you finding it going from you know, being at that highest level to, you know, obviously Saracens, Harrison's will be like, we all know are now in the championship um, for salary cap reasons, but if obviously the very, very, very prestigious uh, English club now playing in the championship. I mean, how are you finding it going from, from, you know, international level going down to playing in the champ? I think the, the interesting, we've played, I said four, pre, some preseason games, and okay, so the season actually starts on Saturday, you were saying? On Saturday, yeah. But we played, I think we played four or five games. And Championship rugby is different. I, I wouldn't say worse or better, but it's got a different focus. Mm. It's It would be an interesting learning ground for young players who haven't necessarily played that style of rugby, but it's an older style of rugby because the players are often slightly older. It's more forward and set-piece orientated. It's... Mm-hmm. It, it, it's different. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah it, and I think it's just take, getting used to playing a different style of rugby. And I think that that'll be the challenge. I think there's obviously well aware of um, sort of things around the clubs. You know, the, the facilities maybe not being as good as Premiership clubs or international level. The pitches being a different quality. Uh, the crowds when they come back being smaller or more noisy or being close to the pitch. And there's a lot of differences that we can't control that will be different. And it's still at the end of the day, it's the same same basic thing as a rugby pitch, roughly the same size with a referee who will be worse in some ways than the referees you're used to because being refereed by Wayne Barnes and Nigel Owens, the best referees in the world. And they're, rather than 20 years experience, they're on the way up. So all those things on the outside, they'll be different. But 
I think if you play or we play our best game, we'll be in a good position in games. Yeah, so, I mean, how do you think this is going to affect the guys in the England team? Because obviously Saracens have a lot of players mm-hmm. playing for England. There is some chat around, is it, you know, should they be picked based on the fact they're not playing or they're playing in the championship? I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, I having tr- my first week at Saracens, uh, now, admittedly, I had gone through the first lockdown. I had re- mentally retired. I had trained, but you know when you train, when you're not, it, it was a token effort more than anything else. Yeah. And my first few weeks in there, I was not out of my depth. I knew what was going on, but so unfit. The pace, the everything about it. I was not thinking about whether I can improve in sessions it was whether I could get through the session in the first week. Okay. <laughs> no, that feeling. Yeah, but like, this is a whole new level. Like, it, the level of training, the level of competition between players at all levels in the squad, especially when everyone was here, is or was unbelievable. Um, mm. I would like it, they certainly got there. And then, Playing with them, you learn new things about those guys that having played against them, you obviously realise they're good players and they're world-class for getting into the teams they've got into. But you see the sort of minutiae, the little bits behind it, and you really understand why they're good players. And I think you've got to pick them on a little bit on sort of their reputation. They've served England well for so long. And to be fair to them, I think they, they have played well in, in the games. I think there's obviously a couple of issues in the English camp at the moment, having lost a couple of games, which they thought they probably would have thought that they should have won. But the Scotland game, Scotland played the perfect game plan, played it the perfect way. Yeah, they were, they had, they had done everything correct. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel watching that as a an English, well, born English, but played for Scotland? What was that like watching that game for you, seeing them win? It, oh, it was terrifying. Um, I think one of my first feelings was that I was gutted I wasn't there. Yeah, um, yeah I can imagine. That they, so many of my friends were in that team. I was unbelievably happy for them. And like, it, it's that sort of thing. I think back to when we won the Calcutta, or I won the Calcutta Cup, whenever it was. And that feeling, like, I would love to have that again. Like it's, I remember yeah. seeing the Calcutta Cup as a 10-year-old at Twickenham in the Museum of Rugby and it being in a glass cage and then managing to walk around the pitch with it and then seeing Nicholas Sturgeon down the beer out of it in the changing room. And, <laughs> I mean, that game was the most surreal thing. You had Princess Dan came in, you had Nicholas Sturgeon downing the beer and then J.K. Rowling <laughs> turned up as well. What? And you just sat there like... <laughs> of course, you love a bit of Harry Potter, don't you? Yeah, that, 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 and you, you sort of just <laughs> roll with it. Like, and then you look back at it, that was a quite uh, an outlandish moment there. Is, is the Calcutta Cup the one that Dino kicked down the street? Uh, I don't know who kicked it. I heard the some Scots guy one year when Scotland won it, they played football with it down Rose Street, which is one of the main pub streets in Edinburgh. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know where. I imagine it's been kicked everywhere. Yeah, I just remember the stories. I think there was Dino and um, oh, I've forgotten the guy's the name, the, the number eight. I, I, no, the flanker, I've forgotten his name. It's a winter bottom, I think. Oh, Nigel Winterbottom. Or. I can't remember, but it was Will Skinner or not Will Skinner. Well, probably, probably the bunch, yeah. But it's just like the stories. I just love the stories of the old school. You know, the sort of late eighties, nineties era of rugby. Just to me, is like the golden era of just absolute, just behemoth blokes running at each other, beating the shit out of each other, and then just being maniacs off the pitch as well. Like with the stuff they did. Some of that, some of that does still happen. I think touring, maybe at least when I started, there was still that sort of. There's the midweek team and there's the test team. And if you weren't in the test team, you still go out on a Tuesday night. And whereas you would completely pull the ripcords, you'd have a few beers and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, so there is still a bit of that. I don't know. Obviously, in the last couple of years, I imagine that may have slightly tightened up. But, you know, I've experienced bits of it. Yeah, it's some good, some good times. Yeah. Uh, so... 
you talked about building, I think last time I chatted to you just before, well, we, we chatted uh, often, but we were talking about you are going to start kicking out of space, uh, kicking out of gym, you were yeah. starting to put some things together. And then obviously the big move happened. But I mean, what, what yeah. are the plans with your home gym? So I always intended to get a gym when I retired. I just, the faff of going to a commercial gym, just traveling there, traveling back, mm. Especially, is it two daughters you have as well? Yeah, I've got two daughters, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, ah, yes, yeah. And yeah, Don's, Don's got a two-year-old and then uh, looks after his stepkids as well. Yeah. Uh, no, basically, like, I just realised I needed, if I wanted to actually train to some level, I needed to have stuff at home. Mm. Um, and it immediately, it cuts down your time. I In our old house, I just walked to the basement and the issue we had being in the basement is every time you drop the weight it rung through the whole house and we but we moved on one monday and it's now in the garage so a separate building it i saw it looks rustic. amazing mate yeah, yeah it's pretty pretty rustic at the moment like there's I, I need to sort of board it out and put new flooring down and stuff but i've got quite a lot of the stuff got from primal strength so is that yeah, this yeah steve's company Steve, yeah because yeah, he's not happy when Scotland uh, beat England as well. We were having a chat about that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I got, I got some uh, Olympic bumpers. I went, uh, it's a bit of vanity. I, I know I could have got, got better than got by with like the high temp sort of style or, or even cast iron, but I've always mm-hmm. liked the look of the Olympic bumper plates. Is that the urethane ones, the coloured ones? Uh, no, I didn't get the urethane ones. I got the older style ones. So, but they're the coloured ones. So, red, you know, red, yellow stuff. Yeah, like colour coded. Yeah, you got two hundred kilos worth of them. Got the I got a single squat rack because of height restrictions. So in the basement, I I had to squat in between the floor joists for my head. <laughs> so I that was the only squat rack I could get in the space, and that so that's why I got that. Yeah, got a GHD. Um, oh, cool. I've got a safe. We've got a safety squat bar, a watt bike. Um, I've now I've just ordered a rogue landmine attachment. Um, yeah, so that yeah, should be coming mid March. I've got a couple of the bars, but I've and I've got I'll say a half set of dumbbells from ten up to forty, with various increments. Oh, awesome, um, man. So I, I kind of went in hard with it. Um, <laughs> Didn't do but, things by half. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I basically kind of said, well, if I'm going to get one, I might as well get it now and start rather than, I mean, rather than uh, sort of dallying around. I mean, I, I I have a slight habit of going in hard with things. I've, I've now got a coffee machine at home. Yes. When we, well, when, when we moved in 2017, I bought a Rocket Espresso. Yep. Um, which one? The... It's a heat exchanger, so I think, um, and I've now got, I mean, I've been into coffee for years. It's the job I did when I was in uh, Sydney, but I, now, I, I live with my parents at the moment while I play at Saracens. I've got a V60 AeroPress. I've just got a knock portable grinder. Yeah, I've, I like all the paraphernalia, and I'm really oh, gotcha. interested in that. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't figure it, I'll do it properly. And then it's the same thing. If you buy a nice kit, or you can afford a nice kit, you don't have to buy it twice. So... Yeah, yeah we, we end up saying that a lot on the group when somebody's like, <laughs> "Yeah, where, where can I pick up a bench for like two to three hundred pounds?" And it's like, "Well, you could, but if you spend another hundred, you're probably not going to be replacing it in two or three years." But yeah, yeah. The funny thing is now is economy. <clears throat> yeah, well, it used to be you. You used to, you know, you know, pre-COVID, if you knew what you're looking for you could always pick up some really really good stuff at you know 50 mm. percent off retail and that was you know just the way it was you know weights were a pound a kilo which which <laughs> wouldn't exist now but uh yeah. we're now at a point where with the prices of gym equipment and what it's going for second hand and the cheaper stuff you're you if you know if you can afford it of course we've all got budgets mm. you are definitely better off stretching a little bit more and getting something that you want i mean one of the things i always say now is if you're going to compromise and you get something with a compromise, I can pretty much guarantee you, you're going to end up replacing it, selling it, making the last bit yeah. of stuff and still buying the new thing. So yeah, yeah. I mean, 
get the essentials and then you know you can pick and choose little things all of that around it well, I mean, that's the thing that I'm sort of struggling with is I mean I, like looking at all the stuff that I like I, I was like I could get some monolift arms or monolift attachment I, was like, I don't need a monolift attachment. I'm never going to no, do powerlifting. <laughs> no one needs a monolift, James. <laughs> no, that's yeah, exactly. a bit is it? Uh, yes, um, I mean, some people, they just, yeah, monolift. There's all sorts you can get. Yeah, you can, you, can, you know, I've just bought a, uh, it's a chest. It, it's literally what you do with an inclined bench. You know, you do chest supported rows, yeah. but it fits yeah, yeah, into yeah. the rack. Yeah, I saw that on the Instagram. I, I, they, they, they look good. They're cool, but it's like it's so unnecessary. I don't need it, but do you know what? I fucking love it. Like it's over, it's yeah. over the top, but it's brilliant. And this is what home gyms are about. Like you know, you've, yeah. you know, you, you can, you know, you say what bike. You know, that's that's a big chunk of change of what bike. But yeah. you know, you've got it now, and you're going to get some great yeah. use out of it. I mean, like for me, I got it when I was tying to what I originally planned to do after retirement is train for something. So I was initially looking at either doing the I think it's called the taps which is the amateur stage of the Tour de France mm-hmm. or uh, go into the Scottish indoor rowing championships so during so, lockdown, let, so let me get this right hang on before you carry on so you've just you know just finished playing a pretty attritional hard physical sport and you think oh what's my next thing straight on to okay I'll do something new now <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it, it is quite a I, I need to learn not to do things. I think, I, I yeah, I, I think with my background being in sport, I think my family background as well, both my parents are very driven. Yeah. Is, I would say not necessarily goal orientated, but very task orientated. I find it very hard to be, you know, like I, I can obviously veg out in front of the TV, but going for a walk or meditating or reading a book while I enjoy those things when I'm doing them, it's never my go-to. It's like, I finished my degree in, in May and my immediate thought was, oh, I can finally learn to play the guitar. Or I, I can finally- I can like, see in the background there, you're you learning. Well, it. yeah. Well, I, I'm trying my best. I, it's one of those things, I got it. I got my guitar three years ago and then oh, cool, children man. and the degree happened and understandably, <laughs> it's not really been touched. Um, but it's it's on the list of things I really want to do, and I can't figure that if I've got a guitar, I can at least do it someday. Um, but it's that thing that it's just that immediately my my mind went to learning a new skill or trying to brush up my French, which I haven't done since I was sixteen, and I was never terribly good at when I did it at GCSE anyway. But it felt like something I could do. I even started watching videos on YouTube about learning Japanese and then realized that was really stupid. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's just that sort of thing where like, I kind of like doing things, which is not necessarily always useful. But uh, so I tried to pull myself back from the edge of doing that. I love it. It's just, I think that's just kind of the way you're, you're, you're built, mate. I still remember you coming yeah. in suits to the rugby club all the time. Oh, that, that, uh, that, yeah. You've got to thank Mark Wilson. They so obviously they're in camp and they're talking about all sorts of stuff. And a couple of the England guys were in at Saracens today getting like treatment straight through the door. What's this I heard about you wearing a suit to training for like four months to say for fuck's sake? <laughs> it's just like like to be fair, the, the reason behind it was like we were absolutely awful. And I thought that if I changed my attitude towards training or like changed it to being like professional going to work and that that might help it didn't (laughs) (laughs) uh looking back i certainly wasn't the issue i don't think any of the players were necessarily the issue uh it was it was an odd place yes yeah i I struggled with it in that season it just you know from from being you know i was at donny which was the championship but from being at quinn's which at the time they they were you know it was a very Good, a very different sort of setup and attitude yeah. towards it. And being at Newcastle was a bit strange, shall we say? Did you like this? Is going to sound really stupid. Did you have squat racks when you were at Newcastle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had them. Okay, yeah. so so you must with with lifting platforms, right? Yeah, they had the yeah. hammer strength ones. Yeah, so my that might have even been the first year they were there. 
So my first experience of weights at Newcastle was all the forwards in, in the gym together and you line up at the squat rack. I think it was 100 kilos in a while, but same weight for everyone. There's a guy called Bob who had his leg shot off by a shotgun. So he had a fake leg sat on a chair next to it. And basically, he would just tell you to go and then stop. I don't know whether he was counting numbers or just until you looked a bit tired. It didn't matter about your technique as long as the bar went up and down. But anyway, you do that. Then you go to the bench. There's two benches. You had girls' bench and man's bench. It's 100 kilos, 120 kilos. Again, do as many reps as you got told to by the guy standing next to them. And then sometimes you'd have something like maybe a leg press or uh, what was it like a leg curl, maybe something like that. Again, yeah. similar sort of thing. And then you go down to the bottom where you maybe do some pull ups and, and basically do three circuits of that. And that was your gym session. Um, and so that's what I did, at least for the first two years of my career as a professional athlete. Um, the, the 15s had a hole in them. So close to, one of them was close to 12. Uh, the dumbbells only went up to 30 kilos um, which Amazing. is ridiculous now like there's a proper Saracens at the moment a guy called Alec Clary who was benching 75 kilo dumbbells this morning I mean I, I keep bad, calling right? him I keep calling him Gimli I mean he's a prop and he's got long hair and I keep trying I keep finding out people who've got long hair so I called him Fabio uh, Otis from WWE, uh, David Ginler. He didn't even know who David Ginler was. Too bloody oh, young. Man. Um, then they yeah, <laughs> called him Gimli. Um, Very good. But yeah, he's a strong lad. Uh, he played in Jersey last year, and he's yeah, he's really good. Nice. But yeah, no, I did. I always uh, you did maybe like you made me think there. It was one of those things like whether it made you pitch strong or not. Guys did always were always like, oh, what's this guy bench or what's he squatting? Oh, gee, here's someone did this in the test. It seems to be always part of the the clubs like uh, wanting to know who's the strongest and uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I still love hearing about what people do because you always hear these like, you know, well, you speak to one guy and they're like, say, you know, Carl Hamer would be repping like 300 kilo deadlifts or something like that. I'm like, yeah, but would he be? But like, you know, you see videos of them doing like 220 bot squats, which at the time was like you know which was mental. you know wasn't the, yeah which which was mental but you're like but what did they actually do and you know you had, they had like you know being a prop and quite into strength and that you know like your mummy did like some crazy stuff as well but i i did love that kind of uh i don't I mean, know that's part of it just, I am like high testosterone environment and as you said everybody's competing for position and it's all about as you said like strength is such like a manly mm-hmm. thing yeah. isn't it and rugby's a very like it's a, it's a manly game like <laughs> probably part of the um the, the culture that's kind of behind it isn't it like everyone's competing yeah. everyone wants to be the alpha in a team full of alphas no it certainly is i mean like i think i've got so in my position i play second row there's a range of ages and experiences i'm the oldest by a country mile and obviously Marrow's and a, a guy called Joel and a guy called Callum who are sort of a bit younger. And they, we, we all compete and we're all good at different things. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with Joel and Callum in this preseason uh, just because of the way the Automations Cup started and all that thing. And you're sitting there and like every now and then, like, oh yeah, I beat you on that. It's like, yeah, I'm 34. I mean, <laughs> don't care anymore, yeah. you, you probably should beat me on the Bronco test. <laughs> or... Like, I mean, but you still can't scrummage though. And like, you know, that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> like well, that's of, it, isn't it? Yeah, like there's a lot of stuff that you learn from experience, which is really helpful. And uh, don't get me wrong, those guys are strong and good players and they're getting a lot better by playing in the environment they're in. But it's one thing I've learned is strength is not always everything. I mean, for me, it helps massively. I feel like at the moment I'm in that place where I can do what I need to do on the pitch it's learned over the last 10 years. And it's really hard to describe to someone, they go, oh, how do you do that? It's like, I, I, I just went for the ball. And it, it's mm-hmm. instinctive, which it, it takes time to learn. Yeah, it's kind of that, it's, it's, you know, we talk about in sports, you're, you're trying to find, I can think of maybe one game 
when I was truly in the zone where it just flowed, everything happened and it was just brilliant. And I think you spend your whole career trying to find that perfect game, that perfect thing. And uh, I I look back on some of the times I've played the best rugby is when I've been the weakest in the gym, when I haven't really cared. And it's towards the end of the season when you're, you're just hanging on by a thread. But yeah, if we look at the pitch where you get paid for, it was really good. So it's yeah, I mean, like you say, it's um, yeah. it, it's that pitch. It, I was talking about it, pitch strong and um, yeah. gym strong. I mean, I I have that exact same thing. I think that the, I've always had this line out before I retired. I said I would retire when I played the perfect game, or if I played the perfect game, I would retire on the spot. And I mean, the perfect game never never happens. I mean, the closest I've got, we played Leicester in the European Cup. It was the last, uh, yeah, it was, it was the last game of the pool stages and we basically needed to win to go through for the first time. We played at Welford Road and we beat them 42-0. Um, oh. And it was like one of those days, every move just worked. Everything, like, it like it was that good. Like, the their coach came into our changing room afterwards and was like, guys, that was one of the best ones I've ever seen. And like, Oh, wow. it, that that for my that for myself is the probably the best in inverted commas game I've ever been involved in. And it's the closest to the perfect game. And even that, we we gave away a couple of penalties and we could have done stuff better. But mm. that would be my perfect game. Okay, mate. Yeah, phenomenal. I think um that's a great place to I think finish there, mate, talking about yeah, that perfect no, game. And on a high. But uh mate, absolute pleasure to have you on and thank you no, so much for giving giving us your time, mate. And um best of luck for the season. Uh but I'll be following along and I want to hear all about yeah. what it's like being the old guy now uh, and his right. last potential last season, mate. But still living well, living at home at the moment. <laughs> I, that's the biggest shock. I'm thirty-four living with my parents, haven't done that for sixteen years. Mate, your poor wife's yeah, having two it- kids in Glasgow. <laughs> Yeah, it has its challenges, I admit. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, yeah. But um, yeah, we're good on you, man. But thanks for coming on. No, no, it's just us. Thank you for all your time today, mate. And it's uh, been great to catch up with you. So if any of the listeners want to kind of like follow you, I don't know how like active you are on social media or anything like that. Can they find you on Instagram or? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm, I, I'm Timothy J.M. Swinson is my handle that's even the word but like yeah I, I kind of missed out on the uh, social media thing if you look at the younger guys now like they're a lot more active than I am I, mm. I think I've been more active in the last six months than I have done in the last five years so yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm trying I'm, tr- I'm trying but well, maybe we'll get you, know, you some new followers <laughs> but it's, it's depressing I'm like I, I've become that parent who doesn't know how to use technology I'm just waiting for my daughters to tell me how to do what I'm doing. Your massive finger just like pushing their buttons. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And he's like, he's like in the Simpsons where he's got a dialing wand. A dialing That's wand, yeah. Amazing. But mate, thanks again. But great to catch up with you again, buddy. It's been far no, too great long. To catch you but, up. Um, no, keep in touch. We will no do, mate. It's nice to you meet you, Tim. See you. Cheers. Bye. See you, dude. See you guys Bye. soon. Bye. That was... Oh, I'm going to...